Good morning, church. <clears throat> it's good to be here this morning and enjoying this good music. And I'm going to tell you, seeing some of these pictures up here, that brought me back. Um, well, I want to just get started this morning by asking a question. Um, I want you to think about it and I want you to consider where do you find your hope? Or maybe better, in what? Do you put your hope in? Where do we find our hope? I think there's, there's tons of options we have. Like we could, you know, maybe we look at our personal success. Maybe we look at our bank accounts. Um, maybe it's our money, our skills, our ability. Maybe it's the government. Maybe it's our education, graduates. Maybe it's, maybe it's medicine, maybe it's doctors. Maybe those are the places where we put our hope. But I want to tell you this morning that all of those fall short at some point. So what happens when the money's gone? When you never reach that success? When you never hit that level? What happens when, when our leaders let us down? What happens when the sickness comes back? What happens when the, the medicine or the doctors don't work? Where's our hope? I want to tell you this morning that there is a source of hope, and there's only one source of hope, and it never fails us, and it has an eternal promise. So our text this morning, even though there was a, a miscommunication, is going to be 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. So if you go ahead and turn there, we'll read, and, and hopefully we'll be able to see um, where Paul found his source of hope. So 1 Timothy... Chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that, that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning in your house and, and gather together as the church because, because of your son Jesus. God, we're here together because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, we, we worship, we worship you, we're thankful. And God, and I just ask you this morning to, to speak through your word this morning. God, take away all of my ideas, all of my words, God, and replace them with yours. God, and I pray that, that this morning that we would hear a word from you, that, that we would see the beauty of the gospel, that we would see where we find our hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're only looking at five verses this morning. And this is Paul's letter to Timothy. I'm going to give you just a little bit of background, a little bit of context 
Um, when Paul writes this, he's at the end of his ministry, toward the end of it. He's in prison, and he is thinking, you know what, I may not get out of prison this time. He's thinking, this might be the end. So he's writing this, this beautiful letter to this beautiful letter to Timothy. And in, in verse 2 he says, Timothy, my true son in the faith. So this is a fatherly, encouraging letter to Timothy. And he's telling Timothy to fight for the gospel. That sometimes the gospel gets changed. It gets twisted a little bit. It loses its meaning. And he's, he's telling Timothy, this is the gospel that saved me. Keep it. Fight for it. So these five verses here, verses 12 to 17, this is Paul's testimony. He's given this to Timothy, and he's telling Timothy who he was before Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. He's telling him what Jesus did for him, for us. And then he's telling him, you know, what he was assigned to do with the gospel, what Jesus called him to do with it after he had it. So, so this is Paul's and our source of hope. These these verses really give us this beautiful picture of what gospel hope is, who it's for, and then what do we do with it. So our big idea this morning, if you're taking notes, is our only real hope is the hope that's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our only real hope is the hope that's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, but what is the gospel? Like We throw that word out there, but what is it? It is hope. So what, is the gospel, what does the word gospel mean? It's not here. It's not. We don't see the word gospel here in our text this morning. But we see all the parts of it. There's a, a, a time that, that sometimes we misuse it. We throw it out there and we don't understand exactly what it means. So, if you didn't know, I'm a book nerd, so I brought another book this time. Um, and this one's just called, What is the Gospel? It's written by a man named Greg Gilbert. Uh, short book. You could probably sit down and read this all the way through in one sitting. Um, it take you a few hours, but uh, man, you could spend hours unpacking what he tells us about the gospel. But in the beginning of the book, Gilbert he does some, some investigating, some looking around, some asking people, what is the gospel? He looks around, what have other people said that the gospel is? And I want to read to you a few of, of what he found. So one writer says, The good news is that God wants to show you his incredible favor. He wants to fill your life with new wine. But are you willing to get rid of your old wineskins? Will you start thinking bigger? Will you enlarge your vision and get rid of those old negative mindsets that hold you back? That's what one person says the gospel is. Somebody else writes, The good news is that God's face will always be turned towards you, regardless of what you've done, where you've been, or how many mistakes you've made. He loves you and has turned in your direction looking for you. Another person writes, The gospel itself, itself refers to the proclamation that Jesus, the crucified and risen Messiah, is the one true and only Lord of the world. And there are others that, that we could spend time reading, but the gist of it is, all of those sound good. They're close, but what is it? Like, it's still, we don't exactly know what the word gospel is. 
So we can translate the word gospel as good news, right? And that's, that's what it is. It definitely is good news. But if we look right here in verse 15 in our text this morning, this is probably the most succinct, the most clear, boiled down description of what the gospel is. Verse 15 says, This is a trustworthy statement that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's the gospel. That's good news. That's the best news. But let's look at it a little bit further. Okay, so let's, let's start with the fact that, okay, we're sinners. Paul even says that he's the worst of sinners. And he could probably say that because he spent the first part of his life before Jesus met him on the road to Damascus persecuting sinners. There was uh, a young man by the name of... Um, Stephen, sorry. There was a young man named Stephen who was going about preaching, sharing the gospel. And because of that, because of his sharing what Jesus did, he was stoned. And Paul's standing there watching, approving of it. So yeah, Paul probably could be called the worst of sinners. But what is it? All right, so let's, let's get at the root. What is sin? Where did it come from? Adam and Eve were the first to sin. And one commentator says that, that Adam and Eve had the choice. Um, they had you know, their free will. And, but unlike us, Adam and Eve had the ability to not sin. All right? and I know that sounds a little bit wordy, but they had the ability to choose to not sin. But still, they chose sin. Specifically, they said, I'm going to disobey God. That's what sin is. It's, it's disobedience to God. They said they listened to the serpent, Satan, disguised as a serpent. They listened to what he said, and he said, you know what? No, God didn't really mean that. You're not really going to die. God's holding you back. He doesn't want you to be like him. And they didn't trust God. They listened to the serpent. God said, if you eat of this fruit, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. But they listened to the lies of the, of the serpent and they ate of it. So now, because of their sin, because of their bad choices, we are different. We can't not sin. Adam and Eve could choose to not sin, but on the other side of the first sin in the world, we can't not sin. We choose sin. 99% of the time, we choose sin. Sin is selfish. It feels good in the moment. And we love ourselves. So we choose it. And isn't that how it works? Like, it's deceptive. It looks good. You know, the fruit looked good. They said it was pleasing to the eye and it looked good for food. And they took it and ate it. It, it probably even tasted good. I don't know. Eve ate it and gave some to her husband. He ate it. But then that sin... What happened? It brought us death. It brought the end of us. And isn't that the same way that sin works today? It looks good. It's easier to tell that little lie. It feels a lot better to tell that little lie than to say, man, I messed up. It's easier in the moment until you get called out on the carpet and then it hurts. There's a penalty. It's deceptive. 
sin is, is jumping on that treadmill of wanting things, right? Like we want more of this. We want more money. I just, I want the next thing. You know, I want the newest set of golf clubs. I want the newest car. Whatever it is, and we get on that treadmill, we can't stop. Because those things satisfy for a minute. But then what happens? I want the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. It feels good. Until we want the next thing. Until we find the penalty. But those are the things that separate us from God. Those sins, the sin in the garden, is the thing that, that separated Adam and Eve's communion with God, their fellowship with God, and got them kicked out of the garden. And because we choose those same things over God, over what he says for our lives, what he wants for our lives, instead of following God and trusting him, trusting when he says, obey me, I love you, I'll take care of you. Instead, we want to be God. We want to say, nah, I know better. I'll pick this over here. So that's the bad news. We're sinners. We choose ourselves. We choose selfishness. We choose sin. But next, in verse 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. How does that work? Like, like why was Jesus able to die for our sins? Like, like that doesn't make sense. Like, we don't understand. How is that acceptable to God? Like, I sin. How can he take my payment? It's because our sin does require payment. If I break a law, I'm, I'm liable for the penalty. No matter how much I say, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. There's still a penalty that's required. And for sin, that penalty is our life. But Jesus. And isn't that, that's, like, that's awesome. And if Melissa was here, my wife, if she was here, she'd be like cutting me the eyes because like, I have a pet peeve about the word but. And I'm a little bit ashamed that I'm going to tell you where I got this, all right? So... I happened to see Dr. Phil one time. Don't watch him regularly. Just bear with me. But he describes the word but. Okay? And he says that, that everything before it is either a lie or I didn't really mean it. And then everything after it is the truth. This is what I really meant to say. Right? And that's how it works. So look right here. I'm a sinner. But Jesus... He came, and all of this on this side of the butt, it's null and void. He took the penalty, and now we're over here, saved by God's grace. So hear me when, when I say that we're sinners doomed to death, but Jesus died for our sins. The Jesus that was with God in the beginning when God spoke creation into existence, when he spoke the stars and the earth and the plants and the people and all of that into existence, that Jesus was there, takes on human form, born of a virgin, lives a sinless, perfect life. He was able, like Adam and Eve, to choose not to sin. He lived a life that we weren't even close to being able to live. And because of that perfect life, that's why he was able to willingly go to the cross and die in our place. He was the acceptable sacrifice in our place, in my place. 
He died a disgraceful, humiliating death on a cross, on a sinner's cross. Even though he was perfect, he was still without sin. And then after being dead and in the grave for three days, God raises him from the dead, defeating sin, the grave, hell, and restores our relationship with God. So we accept the free gift of salvation because Jesus died in our place. He took on the punishment that I deserved. And he beat the death and everything so that we, he beat hell and death so that we can live in communion with him forever. Now that's hope. That's the gospel. That's where we find our hope. But now we've got to ask, who's it for? Who's the gospel for? I go, okay, we got the good news. We know what it is. Who's it for? Well, it's, in, it's for all who are in need of hope. It's beautiful. Look at the last verse, the last part of verse 15, where Jesus says, or it says that Jesus came to save sinners, of which I'm the worst. Paul said that, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and he himself was the worst. You think we would say that in our culture today? It's a pretty pointed, nasty word, right? Sinner. Like, we don't like to call ourselves sinners. But yet Paul right here, he says, you know what? Yeah, I'm a sinner. You know what? I'm probably the worst one. Seems to me like in our culture today, like we, we play down our sins. But Paul, verse 13 right here, he says, he's a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. But we end up trying to soften that a little bit. We end up saying that, oh, I just made a mistake. Or we call it backsliding. Or say, ah, I messed up. I did a little something wrong there. Right? Another term we use is missing the mark. We say that sin is missing the mark. That's pretty good. That's actually a pretty good translation. But what we forget with that is that the mark is perfection. So we missed it. So I decided 37 years old to go back to school. I got these professors and they assign different grades that have different weights and like this quiz is worth this and this test is worth this or whatever. And just like any good student, I go on there pretty regularly and look at my grades and say, all right, well, I bombed that one. I hope I got something good over here I can finish up on to bring those grades up, right? I'm trying to get the passing grade. I want to make sure I get credit for this course that I bought. But the difference is, like, if I mess up on the exam, maybe I got something over here that'll, that'll help bump me up. But what does God require? God says, be holy, because I'm holy. He requires perfection. There's not a range. High school, it was like 93 to 100, right? If it's 93.0 or 93.1, I don't care. It's, I got the A. Like, that's, that's where I'm shooting for I'm, I'm trying to pass. Or maybe it's 65 was passing. I was looking for that 65.1. I just want to pass. But that's not how it works here, right? With God, it's either, it's either 100 or a zero. It's either pass or fail. I hate those classes. You mess up one little thing, and it's like, that's it. You can take it again. And that's how it is. So what, we missed the mark, you know, 
You know, we, we miss that, that sin's a big deal. You know, we forget that it's, it's literally an assault on God and his authority. It's disobedience. And it's the only reason, the very reason, that Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. Sin is looking at an almighty, powerful creator and saying, I'm better than you. I know better. Man, now that's offensive. You think that's offensive? Calling myself or somebody else a sinner? That's a little bit hurtful. Our culture, like, we, you know, I'm not a bad guy. I'll throw a few coins to the guy standing on the corner of the street, throw him a pack of nabs. I'll do some good things. I'll pay it forward in the drive-thru at Starbucks. Hey, let me get the guy behind me. That kind of thing. I'm not, we try to think that we're not bad people. We do some good things. But man, we're sinners at the core. Like, we'll even go as far as, as trying to explain away. I didn't have a choice. I had to tell a little lie there. I didn't have a choice. It was, that, was, that was for the best. But no. We missed the mark, and the mark is perfection. And there's a penalty. So that's the gospel. We can be saved from our sins, from our sinfulness. And then that's good, right? We're good. We get the gospel. We hear it. We understand it. We believe it. And then we're good, right? We don't have to, we don't have to worry about that again. We got our salvation. Now we can live any way we want. No, absolutely not. The gospel's for sinners, lost people dying without a hope. But the gospel's for us, born-again believers, too. As Christ followers... Followers, we have to hear the gospel regularly. We have to hear it daily. Because if not, we are so quick to forget that without Jesus, we're doomed. Without his goodness in our place, in my place, without that gift of salvation, I don't have hope. So do you ever feel like you just don't measure up? You ever feel like, you know, man, I just don't hit the standard. You ever feel like, I just can't get right. Like, I don't know what's going on. Do you ever think that, man, did God really save me? Like, I just don't feel it right now. So I'm going to be honest and transparent with you right now. Um, This is something I've been dealing with for a little while now. You know? It's hard to keep the gospel in focus. There's these ups and downs in our walk with Christ. So like a lot of us, a lot of you know, people grew up in the, in the South in the Bible Belt, went to church, had God-fearing parents, took me to church on Sunday mornings, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and anything else in between we had. And I heard the gospel. I was saved at an early age. I remember I was in my room in Chapel Hill. It was nighttime. I remember I was crying. Because I knew I didn't have any hope. I knew if I was to die, I was going to hell. And I remember my dad leading me into my salvation. He, right there. And it was beautiful. And I remembered that, you know, God saved me. And man, I, I was doing, you know, the good things. We, we went to church and I loved it. We went to uh, youth group, all those things. But then as time went on, I wouldn't remind myself of the gospel, and it faded. And it faded. And it faded. And I needed Jesus again. 
I needed to be reminded of what he did for me so many years ago. In November of 2017, uh, before that, man, God got a hold of my life, um, showed me what the gospel was again, renewed that the beauty of the gospel in my life. Before then, there wasn't a whole lot about me that said that I was a, that I was a Christian. You probably wouldn't know that I was a Christ follower unless you saw me walking into church on Sunday morning. Like, hey, I guess he goes to church. Like, there wasn't much else. But I saw the beauty of the gospel again. And I saw that I was, I was nowhere near doing what I was supposed to do. And out of love, and, and, and I, I saw the beauty in the gospel, you know, I went back to school. I ended up teaching some small groups, which I thought I would never stand in front of people and teach. Started teaching a college group. Uh, I got involved in this small men's group we met on Tuesday nights and really poured into one another. And, and yeah, there were struggles. You know, we, even when you really feel like you're walking close to God, we have, you know, bumps in the road. But, man, God got me through those things. Got Melissa and I through those things. And I felt like, man, I was getting closer and closer to God. But then recently, you know, things come up. I'm not going to blame it all on COVID, but things come up. And we don't meet anymore. I can't get together with my small group, my group of guys that were holding me accountable. I'm not teaching as much as I used to be. I'm, not, I'm not just not able to do those things. <laughs> And I struggled. You know, I, I was meeting with an accountability partner once a week, and we're not able to get together anymore. Things happen. I miss my quiet time. I miss my prayer time. And there's like the spiral down, and we feel like we're getting further away. I'm just not doing all the things, and I, you know, I feel like, man, I'm just not good enough. <laughs> I end up doubting myself and feeling guilty. It's probably fairly common, I hope, maybe. Maybe there's one or two of us in here that, that can feel those ups and downs, can feel those highs and lows in our walk. Sometimes, you know, you just, you just feel so far from God. You feel like you let him down. You feel like you're not as close as you used to be. You're like, God can't use me. I'm not good enough. You know, listening to the wrong music can... Your anger's out of control, and, and whatever the case is, we feel like, man, I'm just slipping, slipping. But here's the good news. God sent Jesus to save me. He sent Jesus to save us. And if we look at it, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, beautiful. For it is by grace that you have been saved, not by works so that no one can boast. God sent Jesus to be the ultimate sacrifice and lived for us, and he did it all. It's none of yourself so that no one can boast. So when you're sitting there and you're wondering, man, am I good enough? No, you're not. Jesus is. Jesus died for us. When we're faced with, you know, temptation and, 
and trials, Jesus was faced with the same ones. Now, he may not have been cut off in traffic and, you know, lose his mind like I do. But he had trials and temptations. He was hot. He was cold. He was hungry. He was tired. But he didn't sin. He lived in my place. That's why he could die on the cross. So now, when God looks down on Brandon, he doesn't see all my mess-ups. He sees Christ's life on mine. He sees Christ's righteousness. The gospel says that our righteousness is 100% dependent on Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It is not of yourself so that no one can boast. I didn't do a thing to earn my salvation. God did it. God lived the perfect life for me. Jesus did. So here's my hope, my friends. Even when we feel like we're not good enough and we're right, Jesus is, be reminded of the gospel, the sacrifice of Jesus in our place, and trust that he did do enough. And that causes us to turn back to Jesus, repenting of our sins, asking him, strengthen my faith. God, I can't do it. And the funny thing is, so God does. He gives us the strength. It's weird how that works, right? Like it's a little, you know, mystical. The Holy Spirit comes into us and gives us the ability to look a little more like Jesus every day. That's one of those fancy Christianese kind of words, you know, that like we throw around in the church called sanctification. Sanctification just means that I ain't perfect yet, but God's working on me. It's a progressive thing. Every day, our walk. Yeah, it has ups and downs. But the Holy Spirit helps us. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to move forward. To look more and more like Jesus. To get closer and closer to Jesus every day. So that whenever Jesus comes again or, or, or we die, whatever comes first, knowing that we will be fully sanctified. Fully righteous at some point. So the gospel... It's the good news that Jesus Christ came to die sinners. He came to die for, for the lost. He came to die for us who have accepted Christ. And the last thing we have to think about, and we'll get out of here, what do we do with it? All right, we got the, we got the good news of the gospel. We understand what it is and who it's for. So what do we do with it? We're ambassadors. God calls us to be ambassadors of hope, to share our hope. So there's a, another Christian author. Like I said, I'm a book nerd now. Um, Paul Tripp, he, he uses this language of ambassador a lot in his books and in his uh, speeches. And he says that uh, an ambassador doesn't tell anybody what they think. They, they're not telling their story. They're telling the guy that sent them they're telling that story for him with his authority. So we are to be telling the message that was given to us through Jesus to everybody else, and we speak on his authority. So we're ambassadors. Look at verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me the strength and considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. That service is to be ambassadors of the gospel to teach 
the gospel, to share it with our family, with the lost. We have a story to tell. This right here I told you in the beginning was, was Paul's testimony, right? We all have a testimony. And it revolves around the work of Jesus Christ and the gospel. It ain't got nothing to do with me. There's no such thing as a good testimony or a really powerful testimony or anything because it doesn't hinge on the person at all. It has to do with what Jesus did for sinners who are lost and dying. And now the cool part is that God gives us the power, the ability to get a little closer to him, but he also gives us the, the ability to share the gospel. He says, I'll go with you. He gives us the Holy Spirit to help us fulfill the Great Commission. Matthew 28, right? 19 and 20. Go into all the world. Making disciples. Teaching them to follow what I've taught you. And that isn't an option. That's the Great Commission. Like, he told us to go do that. So we've been saved from our sins into God's family, into the church here to gather together, and then on to his mission to be ambassadors. Look at verse 16 real quick. But for that very reason, to be an ambassador, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Man, our life is a testimony. It gives testimony and proof and hope because of what Jesus did in our lives. And without the gospel, man, that's it. We're done. It's over. So we have the best news in the world. And if we truly believe that, if we truly see the beauty in the gospel, why don't we share it? I mean, the news that we have is the only hope to save somebody from eternal damnation away from God in hell. That's a real place. Why don't we share it? If I saw somebody drowning and I got a rope, this is what's going to save them. Why don't I want to throw it to them? Am I embarrassed? Am I going to make fun because I throw it a little goofy or something? Am I ashamed? Am I worried that, what if he doesn't take the rope? I don't know. I'm not going to throw it. No. We throw the rope. We send them the lifeline. They do with it what they want. That's up to God. He causes the change. We share the gospel. We have the best news in the world. John 14, 6 says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Through his death on the cross. That's it. So the message of hope that we are to take to the world is the message that it draws us together. We worship through music, through teaching, through fellowship. We worship a God who sent his son to die in our place. And then the most important thing is we give it away. We send it on down the road to the next person. So... <clears throat> When we're faced with what seems like the dead end and we can't figure out where our, our earthly source of hope has let us down and we feel like, you know, it's, it's doom and despair when there seems like there isn't anything better, remember that there is one true 
lasting source of hope, and it's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel that saves sinners from eternal damnation. And then that's when we trust in that, that Jesus can save us, can save my soul. And then we lean into that. And we know that he's able to give us the hope to live our day-to-day lives. And then with that, share with anybody that will listen. Let's pray. Father, we're just so thankful this morning that we have hope. That even though we mess it up all the time, that you sent Jesus in our place to live the perfect life for us. God, and we give you all the glory for it. God, I just pray that, that this morning, that if there's anybody here that, that hasn't heard the gospel, that hasn't let Jesus die in their place, that hasn't accepted the free gift of salvation, God, I just pray that, that you pierce their heart this morning. I pray that there's just something that's just welling up inside of them that they can't fight it down. God, for, for the ones that are, that are far from you, that forgot the beauty of the gospel, God, I pray that I pray that you renew that beauty, that you remind us of your, your great sacrifice in our place. God, we're here because of you. God, we thank you. We love you for sending Jesus to die for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.